Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you from my humble abode of books in this ugh, pandemonium, panini, pandemic paradise where quarantine is no longer cute, but I see they're lifting some of the bands, so quarantine might not be a way to describe the atmosphere anymore. I wanted, you know, I've been posting, I've been procrastinating posting this podcast because I've I've been in such a dark place, you know, in the last week, my depression was definitely getting the best of me. And I'm going to go into more detail with that later. Um, And then, you know, there was police shootings and, you know, we just found out about, um, I believe his name is Andrew Brown. We found out what happened with him in North Carolina. Um... We found out what happened in Northern Virginia and Spotsylvania County with, um, whew, God, there's so many. Lord, there's just so many. I can't believe this. Isaiah, Isaiah Brown in, in Northern Virginia. Um, and so, like, I didn't want to do this podcast because it would be irresponsible, right, to not address these issues. But... I, there's also a part of me that's equally resistant to addressing it because, damn it, it's like every day. And part of self-care is is putting these these difficult things down, at least, you know, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for an afternoon, sometimes for a day or a week, and just kind of regroup and re-up. But I know how far and wide my podcast reaches, so how can I not talk about it? And then there's all these other issues like, I mean, take your pick. Everybody's talking about how bad, you know, COVID is in India, but nobody's talking about how bad COVID is in Palestine, where they have no zero help. They don't have an ally in the world that is going to actually help them cure COVID. Um, you know, and then there is, of course, discussing India and how capitalism is absolutely crippling the healthcare system right now. Um And I mean, there's just so many on and on and on. The issues are just overwhelming. Um, But damn it, it, my biggest resentment right now, (laughs) and as trifling as this sounds, I have a resentment with Ava DuVernay. Because I need a season five of Queen Sugar. I had no idea while I was watching this juicy ass episode in season four that it was the absolute last episode of Queen Sugar. And now I am mad as fuck. I'm so mad right now. You don't understand how mad, child, this show. This show is everything I have ever wanted from a show. If you have never watched Queen Sugar, I'm going to need you to go to season one, episode one, and understand what it is that black people lose focus of when trauma hits. And this is why we get tripped up in conflict so often. Because I think we need to realize at the end of the day, Blackness is what we have to hold on to. And there are moments, there are episodes and events 
where white supremacy wins and capitalism wins and, you know, evil wins. But at the end of the day, there is nothing. There is, it, it is unparalleled beauty is what our blackness in the United States holds for us. It's unparalleled in its strength, in its resilience, in its love. And when I watch this show, you know, so they have these really interesting dialogues, but they happen in like an art museum with black artists. They happen walking through a black community that, that you've never realized exists in the United States that actually does exist. You know, and everybody from doctors to directors to, you know, everybody they see is, is black and it's just like an escape for me. It is a world where there is so much safety in their community for each other. That I, I just, it fills me up again, you know. And I use it when I feel down. I watch Queen Sugar when I feel like the world ain't got nothing for me right now. And it's over. And I'm so upset about this. I Somebody send this to Ava DuVernay. Somebody send this to Oprah. We need to get season five on... It needs to get going, man. All right. It needs to be here. It needs to be in existence yesterday. <sighs> With that being said, so a week ago, um, I would say actually a week ago yesterday, right? Because this is Tuesday going into Wednesday. Um, I got sick, right? I think it had something to do with this desert pollen. I'm new to Albuquerque. And my asthma got really bad and I went to see the doctor, you know, and then they gave me the medications and I came home and the asthma was bad. It was, it was going to be bad for a while. They wanted to keep me for observation. They wanted to admit me into the hospital and I was like, nah, I can't do that, you know. Um, and the truth is I could have, but I was like, I got schoolwork. I, I got to maintain my social media presence. You know, I feel like I'm on a roll with my life and I didn't want to hinder it by being in the hospital. And I was like, there's really nothing they can do for me in the hospital that I can't do for myself at home. And actually, it's an advantage for me to be home because I'll get more rest because, you know, them nurses be waking you up every two hours. So I was like, yeah, let me just bring my ass home. And I came home. And y'all, I came home from the hospital to an empty house and that broke me like i don't currently have a next of kin to put down on my um hospital information and it 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 hurts so much I didn't even know what it was. Like, I'm actually talking to you right now. I'm realizing what it was. When I came home to the silence of a cemetery, I just suddenly collapsed emotionally. I just, like, what if something happened to me at the hospital? There was nobody to tell. 
There was nobody to come to the hospital and hold my hand. There was nobody to come home to and be like, oh my God, you're home. What happened? Are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. Like there was just nobody. Like nobody. Like just like nobody. And like if something happened to me while I was home, there's nobody coming to my house to check on me. I have nobody. And I want to say that it was self-pity, but it wasn't. I understand that I'm alone by choice, right? I'm not dating. Um, marriage ended. It was mutual when it ended. At least that's what I believe. Um, and a lot of friendships that, um, were one way friendships that I had where like I was working harder towards the friendship than the other person. Um, I had to stop those. I had to stop reaching out to people that were never reaching back. And I had to also stop reaching out to people who I didn't want anything more intimate with. Right, Because there were people I was reaching out to when I was lonely. But I really, like, there was no future plans for us to be any closer. Um, it was just someone to occupy space. And it was also a distraction from other endeavors in my life that I needed to take on. Like art, um, you know, like being more responsible. Um, you know, sitting here at my desk alone and doing my homework. And, and getting so close to success, I was getting nervous. So I started distracting myself by placing other people in my life who we really don't have a relationship, you know? And so I've made all of these tough decisions, which now brings me to being by myself, right? And I came home from the hospital and the first thought was, this is it. This is my entire life a wall of books a laptop some wi-fi a kitchen a knife set you know my bedroom my makeshift vanity desk um that's it my really nice towels that i have in my bathroom like this is it the flowers that i keep in every room but nothing more and I imagine that, you know, there's a lot of people have various definitions of what success is. But I can tell you right now, y'all, I'm going to be 51 in two days. Shout out to fellow Torians. Ho! Um, but at 50, I can tell you, I, I, I think of, uh, what was it? Um, was that was it called Mahogany with Diana Ross and Billy D. Williams? It's a really old movie. And Diana Ross plays a supermodel. And her and Billy D get into it and she kind of curses him out, calls him every kind of jive, turkey, you know, the stuff that we said in the in the seventies. And she says, You just can't handle my success. And he snatches her up, right? In that old massage noir way. Uh, grabbing a black woman. He's let me tell you something. And I can't forget this. He said success is nothing. If you don't have anyone to share it with. 
in that smooth blue suede butter Billy D way of saying it. And it was like the way he said it, it was like, yes, sir. You know, <laughs> and I've heard these kinds of, you know, cliche rhetorical remarks, you know, throughout the years that, you know, it's nothing without someone to love. Y'all, I'm 50. And I could tell you right now, if I want a million dollars right now, it wouldn't even fucking matter. Like, I don't have that partner in crime. I don't have someone to see, experience joy, you know, and I, I don't have someone to acknowledge when I'm experiencing joy. I don't have, I don't have those arms around me to comfort me when I'm afraid or, you know, insecure or feeling like a failure. And, and I also don't have that to offer to someone else, you know, and this is tough. It's tough. Um, with the exception of a couple of, what would I call them, stints with a couple of people, I've been basically single since rehab last year. It's been about almost a year and a half now. Actually, it has, yeah, it's been about a year and a half. Um, with the exception of a couple of people I laid with here and there. Um, but I don't have that bond that I've, I've had before, you know, um, and the depression started with that phrase of nothing matters, nothing matters. And the dissociation happened like swoop, like a wall came down and there was no penetrating the wall with new or interesting information. There was no no way that a hopeful phrase or a cliche remark, you know, or a reassurance could have penetrated this decision that I felt I made amidst my depression, that nothing matters, which also means nothing's going to matter. Nothing matters today. Nothing mattered back then. And nothing is going to matter tomorrow. And that's where my depression takes me. And that, my friends, is the absolute paralyzing position that my depression gets me into. And this is, I need to say, this is on medication. So when I'm in this space, I do all the things that I shouldn't do. Um, I focus in on bad news. I found myself YouTubing a lot of police brutality, YouTubing the Republican Party, white supremacy. Um, I found myself getting on TikTok and listening to people stitching each other's videos and arguing back and forth and back and forth. And there is nothing, I, I believe that there's nothing in the world more joyful for a white supremacist than to watch black men and black women going at each other on social media. I truly believe that. Um, I, I believe it's, it's, it's dialogue that needs to happen, but there is, there's just this instigation that, that happens with some white supremacists, you know, where they kind of toss this, 
tossed this thing in between um, black people who are queer versus, you know, heterosexual, black people who are, you know, lighter skinned and darker skinned, black people who are male and female, black people, who, whatever, um, you know, Christian, Muslim, uh, religious, atheist. And they kind of just, they drop this little firecracker in there and then see what happens. And we bite. And I never liked that. I never liked for white people to see me arguing with another black person, period. Um, I think that's also why I tend to keep my cool online. Because I ain't going to let you see me coming out my face with my family. And that's how I feel. Even if we don't agree, even if some things you say are problematic as fuck, you know, shout out to Herschel Walker and that son of his, um, but I'm still not going because at the end of the day, there was this little, uh, TikTok about, um, Candace Owens and this, this little white man when he put out this TikTok, like black lives matter. Oh, really? Even hers. And there's a picture of, of Candace Owens that pops up and it's like, yeah, fool. That's what you don't understand. You know, while, while white supremacists, both in the Democratic and Republican parties, are like at each other's throats, at the end of the day, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, you know what I mean? Socialist, communist, I don't care, egalitarian. At the end of the day, you're black, you family, and we're going to talk about this right after we eat what you want. You know what I mean? Like, there will always be a place at the table for black people in my life. No holds bar conversation. Nothing is, you know, nothing is taboo. We can talk about it all. Because at the end of the day, all we've ever had from slave ship to presidency, all we have ever had for sure was our blackness and each other. That's all we've ever had. Ava DuVernay, please, please, I need season five. Oh, I need season five. Um, so in this depression, you know, I stopped wearing makeup. I didn't shower for a couple of days. I didn't eat for about three days. No exaggeration. I did not consume a morsel of food in three days. Unless you count the coconut sugar that was in my coffee. That was about it. Um, my sleeping habits were all over the place. I would sleep for two hours. And then I would be up for 24. And then I would sleep for like 16 hours. And I'd be up for two. And then I'd go back to sleep for three hours. Then I was up another 24. It was, it was just all over the place. Because when nothing matters, my body doesn't matter. When nothing matters, my sleep doesn't matter. When nothing matters, my agenda doesn't matter. My my family, my friends, my social media presence, like nothing matters. And when I say matter, I don't love anything. I can't love anything. Because what happens with depression is that everything goes inward like a black hole. It just vanishes. It gets sucked into some place where not even light can escape. And I don't know how to alter it. There's a few things that I do know that will work, but it, it requires me to have my mental wherewithal to see the depression coming. 
And I think the biggest problem was that I never saw it coming. I walked in the house from the hospital and it hit me like a car wreck that I came home to no one. And then today, the realization came to me. I started feeling better yesterday. But today, the realization came to me. Accountability, right? If there's one thing I've learned in therapy and in rehab and in talking to some very spiritually centered people is participation. The part I play in the circumstances that are my life. I do believe that nothing is a coincidence. And coming home and realizing there was no one there, that reality was fact, right? The emotions that I attach to it is where my my choices begin. Because I had a choice at that moment to realize that I'm not doing enough work to bring people into my life. And if I'd have came to that conclusion, I would have been in a better space all week. But instead, my knee-jerk reaction was, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. And then when it turns inward, when that black hole happens and the void opens up, it's nobody loves me because I am unlovable. And the lie begins to harden at that very moment. I am unlovable. And depression is the master of the past. So once I voice this idea that I am unlovable, depression goes through the files and pulls out all those moments when I was obviously unlovable, when my mother left, when she went to prison, when she died, when my father called and said he was coming and never showed up, you know, when he died, uh, you know, being left by other active drug addicts in motels and horrible situations and circumstances, getting arrested and having nobody to call to bail me out. And the, I mean, the files just were all being pulled, all the drawers were being pulled open. And then it gets harder. I get, I get more sucked into the hole and it gets harder to climb out of it. And what I need to do at those moments is have a change of scenery and a change of activity. I need to get up out of my chair. I have to move. Um, and usually I could feel it coming with a thought. But this, when I came in the house, it was this raw conclusion. So today, it was about accountability. It was about how I'm not making any effort to bring new people into my life. Why? Because my depression says, well, look what always happens. You were in love with this woman. She cheated. She didn't love you. You thought you were in love. You were with her for years. Look what really happened, man. Or, you know, you had this friend and y'all were real tight. But at the end of the day, he didn't give a fuck about you. Um, and I had messaged my job and told my job, like, hey, look, um, like, I'm not doing too well. Um, the hospital suggests I, I stay home, get some rest. Um and I messaged my regional manager, but he was off all week. I didn't know that. So this past Friday, he finally responded. And he's like, well, look, we filled your schedule. You know, we're going to have to have a talk on Wednesday. So tomorrow I talk to him about that. And I don't know if I still have my job. Like I said, they filled my schedule because they, they weren't sure if I was coming back, allegedly. Um, 
I thought I had messaged them, but in the midst of my depression, maybe I didn't. Maybe I wanted to message them, but never got around to it. Because another thing that happens with my depression is I begin to get absent-minded and I can't remember where I put things. I don't know. I, I walk into rooms and I don't know why I'm in them. Um, keys that I just had in my hand, I can't find all of a sudden. And, you know, before I realize it, you know, I get up at like 10 in the morning and before I realize it, it's four in the afternoon and I haven't done shit. And then I get on myself because I haven't done shit and then how much of a failure I am and then it just compounds. So today, making this realization about friends was a good start at having some accountability, at recognizing the mistake that I'm making in this new life of mine. But then the next part of that is, now what? Now that you know, what do you do? Now I need a change of scenery. Now I need to force myself to get out of the house and go places I enjoy going so I can meet people who also enjoy going to those places. And I need to put down the bat that I've been beating myself up with. That's another important aspect. I know that these new actions made by police have been God awful. And, you know, shout out to uh, the prosecutors in the Derek Chauvin trial. Um, I haven't talked about that since it started. Um, I mean, since it ended, I haven't put up any kind of a post about it, you know, and something that I, I watched the uh, ABC special mini docuseries on George Floyd. And what I didn't know was not only was he so close with his daughter, but he went to Minnesota to go to a halfway house to get clean and he was doing really well. He was working like two or three jobs. Um, I also didn't know that he had gotten a scholarship, an athletic scholarship to a university, but he didn't have the academic skills to maintain himself on the college level. And that's a whole nother podcast where we got to talk about the educational system and how we need to start our own educational programs via Zoom. Now that we see that it can work, we're going to have to make some adjustments. We're going to have to seriously reconsider how the public education system is completely obsolete and it no longer serves its purpose. Its purpose was to get us to the manufacturing factories. It's to get us to work on the conveyor belt. It was to teach us how to work all day, how to do what we're told, how to follow instructions, how to stay quiet, how to focus. But that's no longer what the next generations are going to need for education. They're going to need to be able to maintain dialogue. They're going to need to be technologically savvy. They're going to need, um, you know, to be able to express themselves in the moment on their own two feet. Um, how to unpack conversations, how to, you know, dissect theory. Um, but that's neither here nor there. What I what I do want to say is that this is what the other side of my depression looks like. It's open. The whole world is open again. And if I talk to my boss tomorrow and lose my job, I need to say that one of the things I've always wanted to do is support myself with my writing. And maybe this is that, again... I don't believe in coincidences. Maybe this is that opportunity. My Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash blackfluidpoet is doing very well. 
Um, not as well as I would like it to, but it is doing well. Um, and the podcast is is taking off uh, little by little. I'm getting more and more listeners. More and more people are favoriting the podcast, and I appreciate that. Um, I could use people to sponsor the podcast. If you go to anchor.fm slash blackfluidpoet, there is an option to be a subscriber um, financially, and I could use that help. It's it's as little as 99 cents or as high as you want it to be, which would really help me to maintain the podcast. Um, but people have been showing up in little ways through social media because I don't have any, I don't have a lot of close friends you know, in close proximity here in Albuquerque, which is something else I may need to consider. It may be time to move. You know, um, I'm still behind in rent. I'm catching up. Uh, the The debt was somewhere around four grand and now it's down to, oh, I think it's down to like 1600 now, which is great. Um, I took out a, a personal loan on my scholarship from someone and I dumped you know, $2,000 on the, on the debt, you know, besides paying my rent every month, I've been catching up on that, but, um, it's still there, you know, I'm still like two months behind, uh, between all kinds of fees and stuff from him, you know, he sent me an eviction notice at one time. And so I have to pay off the fees, the legal fees for that. Uh, the whole thing is just a lot, but the world is still opening up for me nonetheless. And I feel opportunities all around me. And being loved by me is non-negotiable. And whenever I feel like I am unlovable, I have to remind myself that I love me. And in loving me, I show others how to love me. And in you loving you, you show me how to love you. And with all of this horrible, horrible activity going on by representatives of the state, police forces nationwide. We need to love each other. We need to remember, remember that every time someone is in pain, which I think is the difference between uh, policing in America and the citizens, right? Those who reside here as citizens is that I believe that police are trained to have a high level of apathy and it robs the citizens of the humanity when they're interacting with police and it's our job to maintain our humanity for each other you know even though there's not much i can do about what's happening in palestine i I, it's okay to remember them and it's okay to hurt sometimes you know for the isaiah browns and the andrew browns and you know, um, I want to say Makia, right? Uh, the young 16-year-old girl who was shot by an officer. Um, there's so much. There's so much happening. You know, houselessness, the, you know, climate change. There's, there's all these different areas. And it's okay. It's okay in that moment to feel powerless and overlook the fact that we're powerless in many ways and do what we can, but support each other, you know, to remind each other that we see each other on the street, in the corner store, at the job, 
and to take a moment to say, no, how are you really? How are you? It's been a couple of weeks since we had a drink. Hey, why don't you come over for dinner? You know, um, it's been so long since we talked. To make those phone calls to relatives, to, to friends, you know, there's been so much grief. You know, understand that a half a million people died of COVID in the last year. That's at least one million people grieving in this country. At least one million people grieving in this country. They've all lost a relative, a close friend, a lover. And it's okay to stop and feel hurt over the brutality. <clears throat> excuse me, over the brutality, over the loss, over the abandonment, over the failures, it's okay. It's absolutely human to feel however we feel. And then do something. And then do something about it. To acknowledge that I'm hurt, to acknowledge that I don't feel lovable, and then when I'm done, to ask the question, now what? Now what? What do we do now? Damn, the police killed another one. Okay, now what? Man, Palestinians are still dying. They still haven't gotten any respect. They still haven't been... <coughs> Excuse me. They still haven't been acknowledged. Okay. I can feel some sadness about that. I can empathize with feeling neglected by the government. I, I understand oppression. But now what? Where can I donate? Who can I talk to? Where's the protest? It's okay to feel beaten. It's okay to be defeated. Just don't help them. There's a lot of people that are trying to defeat me. There's a lot of circumstances and mechanisms are going on in the world that are trying to stop me. And some days they win. But only temporary. Because I don't help them finish me off. I won't go back to using. I won't stop taking my antidepressants. I won't stop reading these books. I won't stop learning. I won't stop trying to find ways to change what is happening. I won't stop listening to people that seem like they have the right idea in mind. I won't stop moving. It is hard to hit a moving target, y'all. Let's just keep going. Let's remember to love ourselves. I hope you understand when I say there is no coincidence. And when the darkness is done, it's thrown all the punches it can, and you feel as low as you can feel, just remember to ask yourself, now what?